broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico. I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. begin this morning with more unidentified objects in the skies over the United States. Yeah, the Pentagon has confirmed that three objects have been shot down in American airspace since Friday, just one week after the military brought down a suspected Chinese surveillance balloon off the coast of South Carolina. I just wanted to make sure we address this from the White House. I know there have been questions and, and concerns about this, but there is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Again, there is no indication of aliens or terrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. That was a collection of news reports reflecting a current zeitgeist of fear, confusion, and distrust. Unidentified flying objects in the sky, recently shot down by military aircraft. A sincere question that arises in the minds of many is quickly dismissed with jest and laughter. For almost a century, we've been told by scientists and government officials that the possibility of visitors of unknown origin is slim to none, and mostly, an imaginative figment of fiction and fantasy. However, in recent years, the reports have changed and evidence has confirmed that events in the sky and technologies observed by our governments defy a logical explanation. So which is it? Are we the butt of the same joke that Orson Welles played on the public one Halloween Eve in 1938? Are extraterrestrials visiting planet Earth? Or is there something much more sinister in our midst? Tonight's guest is a scientist and a theoretical plasma physicist that worked for the United States government on various top secret projects. He collectively believes in extraterrestrial technology, government cover-ups, as well as major disinformation hoaxes perpetrated for nefarious reasons. We'll hear his amazing story and his perspective after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at Off to the Witch for a variety of extras and special features, including the Off to the Witch mini docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes, as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series, Off to the Witch Presents, as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary, Montauk Chronicles. And follow us on social media all links are available at linktree.com slash garitano7, G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. Washington, London, Paris, Moscow are key targets. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? We are the survivors of a disintegrated solar system. At this moment, the remainder of our fleet is circling your globe. What do you want with me? Arrange for your world leaders to confer with us in the city of Washington. 
set up an electronic screen. The artillery doesn't penetrate. Never before has the screen reached such heights of excitement. Breathtaking spectacle. Hair-raising terror. See the saucer men's high-frequency disintegrator. See flying saucers travel thousands of miles in seconds. See great cities leveled by flying saucer monsters. Last look. People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. They're coming down to take over. They made that clear to us in the saucer. To the best of our knowledge, my wife and I are the only ones left alive. To Off to the Witch, I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and tonight's guest, Dr. John Brandenburg, worked for the U.S. government on top-secret projects for decades. He's currently the senior scientist at Kepler Aerospace and subscribes to a perspective that was established from a lifetime of experience and intelligent, critical observation. Tonight, he'll discuss the history of UFO reports and the state of the current tensions that are mounting in reaction to undefined esoteric objects in our skies. Author and alleged UFO abductee, Paul Richard Price, will also join us for the last quarter of the show. So here's my interview with John Brandenburg. Uh, I was born in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, uh, where my father was going to the uh, was a resident at Mayo Clinic. He was a an MD. He was a World War II combat veteran, and he'd come home and gone through medical school on GI Bill and got married to his sweetheart. And um, uh, they were in Rochester, Minnesota. They were originally both from North Dakota. Um, and then they um, and I'm half Icelandic. My mother's Icelandic, so I'm half Viking. I'm very proud of that. And so then um, uh, I grew up in Medford, Oregon, where my father went uh, to start his uh, medical practice. He was asked to join a clinic there, and uh, he helped make the clinic very successful. And um, one of the big events that happened to me when I was quite young, uh, I was born in 1953, so about four or five years later, Sputnik happened. And um, we had a big ham, uh, a ham radio operator up at the top of the hill where we lived. And everybody lined up outside his um, house to listen to the Sputnik as it went over. So the space race was part of my um, kind of uh, founding um, ideas about life. Uh, also, I'd been fascinated by electricity ever since I'd been a very tiny kid. I would uh, uh, constantly, uh, well, in fact, when I was two years old, they, if they couldn't get me to go to sleep, they would go to a nearby subway uh, substation, a bunch of transformers in Medford, Oregon, and park outside so I could listen to the hum, and the hum would put me to sleep. 
Uh, I also became um, fascinated with all sorts of electrical things at, at at a very early age, like three. I would steal Christmas lights from neighbors so I could have them and plug them in and watch them light up and uh, unplug them and watch them go out. So my my parents noted I was unusually interested in um, electrical things. What do you what do you think it was that drove that unusual interest? I you know I I don't know. I just uh, I was just born this way, and then of course um, as I got older, um, um, I had uh, I was I was a pretty big kid, but then I got uh, rheumatic fever when I was young, so it made me kind of a wimp for about a year a couple years. So I made up for that by becoming um, kind of a science nerd. And then, um, so then I, um, I learned how to build electronical things. And my uncle, who was a veteran by a world combat veteran, World War II, he's in, in Patton's army. He was an electrician and he showed me how to make a simple electrical circuits and uh, motors that would uh, go at two different speeds and reverse uh, their rotation. It, it was just wonderful. He was a, a really big influence on my life. This is my uh, mother's brother. And uh, so I just became um, kind of a uh, science nerd for a little while. And then as I got, uh, I recovered from this rheumatic fever that injured my heart, uh, I, I regained my athletic ability and uh, so I became, interestingly enough, a science nurse who was also one of the boys in the neighborhood. And um, uh, so I, I became kind of popular because of my science stuff. I could make all this electrical stuff. I could make uh, metal detectors and, and uh, uh, you know, um, I, could, I could beam music by light across the yard, our backyard. Wow. And that must have been really fascinating to the, you know, your buddies in the neighborhood because you were, you were an anomaly. You were the guy that, the only guy that did that. I was, it was very strange. Uh, I, I, looking back on it now, I realized, you know, if I had been around then and would have spotted me, I would have said, what kind of kid is this? You know, uh, I was kind of a prodigy and, uh, but I wasn't, I was dyslexic also. Uh, so I would confuse 21 and, and 12. So it held me back in school, but, uh, this one teacher recognized that I was really smart rather than, and just slightly learning disabled. So I overcame it by reading a lot and, uh, reading a lot of books on, you know, books on dinosaurs, books on, uh, on rockets, how to build rockets. So I was making, launching rockets from our backyard and my parents didn't know what to do. So they just said, don't put anything in metal or glass and we'll be fine. And then uh, finally in high school, I built a laser. And this got me the attention of the school authorities. Um, the, uh, the, the the real honor students in my high school were a bunch of people with their nose stuck up in the air. I didn't want to have anything to do with them. I just hung around with the kids in the neighborhood, you know. And did the neighborhood kids, when you were building a laser, come up with some creative ways to use it to encourage you? 
Uh, they just looked stunned. They, they knew that I was good at this stuff, but when I got this laser beam that would light up, make a red spot on a church steeple uh, two miles away, and then we could drive down there and look at the red spot on the church steeple, they, they decided I was actually a pretty smart guy. <laughs> despite what everybody said about me. <laughs> and at the time, so I need to know this. Okay, so what movies were you going to see in the movie theater? What was on TV? And what kind of music were you listening to? Uh, oh, I well, I got interested in uh, rock music because of the Beatles. And, um, uh, you know, I had some very creative people in the neighborhood who were also neighbor kids, and they wanted to film movies and stuff like this with home ca- eight millimeter home cameras and and stuff like this. So I kind of hung around with them and um, they introduced me to the, you know, the Beatles and rock music. And um, so I, you know, I, my father had said, it's good son that you're really good at this science, but you got to work on your social skills. You want to be a big success later in life. And uh, he showed me this article where these boy geniuses had, you know, graduated with PhDs at 12 and ended up never really accomplishing much because they couldn't relate to people. So, but then I uh, found out the uh, local college, Southern Oregon State College, it was called then, had a very good math and physics department. So they were only 20 miles away. And besides, I had a steady girlfriend in Medford. So I I just went there and, uh, you know, I suddenly was learning electromagnetic theory and, um, all this fancy math. And so then I got accepted into graduate school in California at Lawrence Livermore National Lab, which is a nuclear weapons lab, but they were also doing energy research, fusion energy. And I went to a graduate school established by Edward Teller uh, called Teller Tech. And um, it was a working fellowship. So I was, you know, I got married to the girl next door and, um, then we were down there in uh, California, and uh, I got my PhD, uh, got my master's, and then my PhD in physics, uh, plasma physics, uh, physics of hot gases for fusion. And um, I also, uh, because it was a hydrogen bomb lab, and we worked sometimes just down the hall from people who were working on hydrogen bombs, uh, I learned a, you know the basic physics of high- nuclear weapons. It was all classified in those days. But I had a security clearance, Q clearance, it was called. And, and uh, before that, before that, uh, I'm curious. So, and 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 it's and it really is part of your um, a spark for your imagination. You were also, and and I love all the stories uh, growing up. There's one element too that I think is important: is that in terms of fiction, were you a big science fiction fan growing up? I was. Uh, my 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 favorite. Uh, novel I read when I was probably about 13 was uh, The Galactic Patrol by Doc Smith, who I imagine was a physicist because he wrote such interesting, you know, he had, he, the, the, the Galactic Patrol was the inspiration, obviously, for the Jedi in, uh, you know, Star Wars. It also inspired, um, um, Let's see. There was another science fiction. Oh, it also inspired Star Trek, because in the Galactic Patrol, 
the human race was seen in the future as having warp drive, laser beams, which hadn't been invented yet, um, uh, nuclear power, uh, nuclear-powered spaceships, uh, space pirates, women in tight, clingy spacesuits. Uh, it was just uh, the whole, in fact, it was called the, the genre he invented was called the space opera. The space opera then became um, uh, Star Wars and Star Trek later. And uh, so I, I read that and had deep, deep influence on me. And then, then they uh, also, uh, the UFO phenomenon was very big when I was growing up. I remember in uh, when I was in seventh grade, the swamp gas thing happened in uh, Michigan, and we actually saw a UFO over uh, our hometown, Medford. Uh, I, I mean, everybody saw it was written up in the newspaper. Can you take me back to that night when you when you saw that? Well, it actually was during the day. Okay, and I was uh, I was riding my bike home from uh, junior high. I think I was in the eighth, I just graduated in the eighth grade and, um, or graduated into the ninth grade, but I was, so I was riding my bike home from um, my junior high and I looked up in the sky and everybody was seeing UFOs all across the country. And I looked up and there was an airplane, it looked like a, a airliner way up in the sky and following it was this big white dot. So I kept watching it as I rode home finally. And finally I got out the, my father was an amateur astronomer and he had these big scientific binoculars. So I was watching this thing and it came down at lower altitude over the town and it looked, it was a rainbow iridescent um, and then it had, but it had a silver tail fin sticking out of this. So it looked like a disc edge on. And, uh, but the, you couldn't see details because it had this rainbow iridescence. And then it had a silver fin sticking out, a tail fin sticking out of the iridescence. And it kind of, so <laughs> I showed my mother, she was also interested in this UFO stuff. She looked at it through binoculars and then we watched it for about five minutes. And then she says, well, I got to, you know, I got to fix dinner, <laughs> get ready for <laughs> dinner. So, she, so I watched it and the thing disappeared and then reappeared um, about 10 minutes later in a different part of the sky. And the newspaper wrote it up the next day. Everybody had seen it. Uh, oh, there, you got to also remember there was a lot of strange stuff going on during the Cold War um, at the time. The, uh, you know, um, Vandenberg Air Force Base was just down the coast and they would launch these rockets full of what's called barium. It's a metal and it would vaporize in space and make this rainbow of colors and make this big thing that looked like a comet going out into space. And in those days, they wouldn't tell anybody anything about what they were doing. So people, I watched one of those things at night and everybody saw it and everybody yacked about it in the newspapers the next day. And then there was never any explanation. And uh, we had B-52 bombers refueling in flight over our town. 
because uh, it was on Interstate 5, the big uh, interstate that runs up and down. It runs from San Diego to Seattle, ran right through the middle of our town. So these bombers would refuel in midair, and we did. We thought they were UFOs, but then I looked at them through binoculars, and I realized, no, it's two airplanes very close together. <laughs> That's really interesting. When you saw the UFO, though, through the binoculars, you were convinced that that had nothing to do with the the military, or no, did you no, see oh no, no. Yeah, I I was uh, I was fully convinced that these were extraterrestrial craft. I, I mean, I was only in seventh. I was only only in junior high school, and you know, it just seemed obvious to me that we weren't alone in the universe. It, and it also, it was the influence of. Um, you know, reading this Doc Smith uh, novel, The Galactic Patrol, and then they had several sequels, where the universe was quite crowded with uh, people, some people who were quite like us, some people who were not like us, and they were all had spaceships and were all flying around. And the human race was doing fine. It was like in, um, you know, we were important. And, and so, so, you know, the idea of having extraterrestrials out there was not very threatening to me. Uh, that all changed, however, by an incident that happened when I think I was about in ninth grade, and that was Snippy the horse, the fierce, do well-documented animal mutilation. And I remember my mind just recoiling from this. I thought, why would anybody from outer space do such a thing? And, and can you give me some origins on this story? Uh, yeah, I, the, uh, there's a place in Colorado called the San Luis Valley. The, the Rocky Mountains come down from the north from Canada, and they split into two mountain ranges. One is called the Sangre de Cristo, the Blood of Christ Mountains. It's fairly low and rounded. And then there's this other very rugged set of peaks called the Sagwatch Range. And in between them, there's this triangular valley. It's across, uh, Denver is on the um, eastern side of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. So, uh, but anyway, so there was this ranch there and they'd seen a lot of UFOs. And then they had this one uh, horse that was just sitting out in this one pen, you know, it was kind of a... Uh, and they went out to check on it one day and all of the flesh from its skull and neck were missing. It looked like it had been cut up by a giant razor. And it's called, uh, I believe it, the name of the horse was Snippy. And it was very well documented. And everybody came to look and it was the first animal mutilation in Colorado. And it was followed by many others, also uh, associated with uh, UFO activity. And my mind, my juvenile mind recoiled from this because I couldn't imagine anybody from outer space doing something like that. And so um, it made me kind of lose interest in UFOs after that. I didn't want to think about them. So then uh, this actually was good because when I went to college 
and got a you know a bachelor's degree in physics, and then I got accepted into graduate school down at Lawrence Livermore. They kind of let us know by um, some very subtle ways that we weren't to be interested in UFOs. And then the Condon report came out. Of course, you know, the Condon report had come out, I think about the same time as Snippy the horse saying that uh, all of this was hogwash. It was just. Uh, uh, did they suggest the reason, did they suggest a reason why you shouldn't be interested in these things? I know it was a subtle suggestion, but what, what did they allude to? Oh, they had a very good scientific reason. They said, uh, if anybody asks you if warp drive is possible, going faster than light, say that that's ridiculous. That's just science fiction. So isn't that interesting? What they did is they said, because by that time, you know, I, I understood that Mars and the other Venus and Mercury, they were uninhabitable. You know, there were no civilizations there and uh, nothing in the asteroid belt or Jupiter. And so when they said that, and I even remember discussing it with my other students, um, it just meant that the UFOs couldn't be extraterrestrial because they'd have to come from a star system far away. And they'd already said there was no such thing as warp drive. So they, they actually told us, if anybody asks you about warp drive, say that it's impossible. It's against the law, the law of relativity. So uh, that that was their way of putting the kibosh on all such talk. And I tried to be, you know, I was trying very hard to fit in. I had a security clearance. I wanted to finish my PhD and get, get a good job, um, make big money, and have a nice house for my dear wife. So... Um, I, I basically put myself under the mental discipline of not talking about UFOs or anything like that. And, um, and we were basically, when they told us not to talk about warp drive, I understood that that meant no talk about UFOs. And so being at a government laboratory like that, we were not at a university, uh, but they kind of subtly laid down the law that people aren't supposed to think about such things. And that was fine. Uh, now, when that didn't stop me from being entertained by science fiction like Star Wars. When that came out, I loved it. And the Star Trek movies. And I, I grew up on Star Trek and the Apollo moon program. I was very much a space cadet. Uh, I was working on fusion energy, by the way, uh, which is the power of the stars. And... Um, getting my PhD. And that was my big focus. I remember promising my dear wife several times, don't worry, I'm going to finish my PhD. I'm going to get out of here, get a good job, making big money, and I'm going to buy you a nice house. So at what point did your interest, because of course, you know, when you're involved in trying to build a career, it's, oh, yes. it's intense and you have goals and you have to survive. And, and you, you and, and you have to play by the rules. Sure, sure. You, you try If you it. want to get out of here, Brandenburg, you got to toe the line here. 
no talking about nonsense. You've got to focus on your PhD. You know, we don't want to hear you talking about this or that. You know, we want to. At, at what point, though, was a turning point where it, it got so intense that you couldn't? Yeah, sure. Chris, that's a wonderful question because the turning point was like driving down the freeway at 80 miles an hour and getting in a head-on crash. And this was at a moment where you had no other choice in terms of your your character and who you are. You had to make a decision. So what was this? Can you describe it to me? Okay. Well, what happened was I achieved my dream. And my wife's dream is I, I got my PhD. And... Um, well, it didn't exactly work out the way I wanted because I, I worked on controlled fusion energy, but they had a big a budget cutback, uh, apparently, uh, in agreement. The, the thing was, the story I heard later is they had an agreement under the table during the Reagan administration. We would stop fusion research and uh, the Saudis would cut the price of oil. But that's a whole different matter. Uh, but uh, that's what was going on. So I got out of school with my nice shiny PhD on fusion energy, trying to make uh, life warmer and brighter for the human race, solve the energy crisis, save the whales, and all the money disappears. I can't get a job doing fusion energy. So I had to get a job doing directed energy weapons, electron beams fired through the air. A lot, straight. Imagine firing lightning bolts through the air at uh, very high energy and they would go miles. And what year was this? This was uh, about 1981. So I got a, and I got a good job at another nuclear weapons lab called Sandia Laboratories in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the cultural difference between Sandia Labs and Lawrence Livermore, Lawrence Livermore was run by the University of California. It was very much kind of like a, a university. People would put cartoons on their doors, you know, and um, and um, it, there was a lot of free and easy discussion as long as you didn't talk about UFOs or warp drive. And, uh, and both of these things were a running caution on their part. They made it clear that they didn't want to talk about these things. And I, I'm oh, sure abso- that- absolutely. And, and I, I picked that up and I t- discussed it with my, my buddies in, high, in uh, grad school. And never once did you question the validity of these things. You knew they existed. No, no. Okay. No. I I was trying very much to be as conventional as possible, a good soldier. So I'm marching along. Okay, so I end up in Albuquerque. I got a great job there. I bought my wife a nice house. We had a nice, it's making big money. Um. And uh, then we went through, um, you've never been through a nuclear crisis till you've been through one at a nuclear weapons lab. You can just feel it, the tension mounting. Uh, and what happened at um, Sandia Labs, I'd been there, for one thing, you got to remember, Sandia Labs uh, was not run by University of California. It was run by Bell Labs, very corporate. I imagine all these, you know, they had pictures of all of these um, uh, presidents of the, la- you know, 
directors of the labs from previous years. And I, I imagine, you know, a, a bag of golf clubs on their shoulders. <laughs> These guys were part of the country club. They were, and you, at Livermore, what mattered is if you were right, you know, your, your theory was right. At Sandia Labs, no, it's more subtle than that, Brandenburg. Your physics is good, but your politics is bad. I was assigned the problem of helping to, uh, for one thing, Chris, have you ever seen a straight lightning bolt? Not that I recall. <laughs> no, no. Uh, the uh, lightning bolts we were firing out of these uh, electronic uh, cannons, which, by the way, were uh, featured in uh, The Mysterians, the Japanese science fiction movie. Uh, had microwave, big microwave weapons, and they, and they had uh, electron beam uh, weapons that they used on the aliens. But what happened was, so we're firing these electron beams, and they're going all over the place. They hit the air, and they wouldn't fly straight. So I said, you got to spin them. So they'll spin like a rifle bullet. They'll go straight. And this one senior guy said that this was a crazy idea. And I was new. He had been was well established there, and <laughs> un, unfortunately for my career at Sandia Labs, I was proved right. <laughs> and this guy, instead of patting me on the head, hated me. So, so I was having a rough time at the lab. Uh, I couldn't, it was very difficult for me to adjust to be working on weapons where before I'd been working on energy. And uh, it was also difficult because, uh, you know, here I'd saw, I'd saved the project, you know, that they were working on. And instead of getting uh, compliments for it, well, I did get compliments from my lower level people I worked with. They they thought it was really a great theoretical accomplishment. I had theory that showed that if you spun the beams like rifle bullets, they would fly straight. And then the experiments showed that. And, <laughs> but this guy just hated me. And after this, I, I'd really embarrassed him. And, um, uh, <laughs> One guy told me, he says, John, your physics was really good, but your politics was really bad. It's my first job out of school, you know. Now, so that was going on, but actually I was proved right. And so for a little while, for just a little while, I was actually doing really good. And, but then we had um, the nuclear winter stuff came out. And, we had, uh, it was 1983, uh, like October, November, 1983. And Carl Sagan and a bunch of other scientists, believe it or not, because of a dust storm on Mars in 1971, when the Mars observer, when the Mar one of the Mars probes went to Mars, the entire planet erupted into a dust storm and you couldn't see the surface for three months went from pole to pole and they figured out the same thing would happen on earth if there was a nuclear war and more people would die of cold and starvation after a nuclear war than would die 
due to the initial bombs, explosions, and fallout. So this was just dev- this had a devastating effect on the lab personnel that I worked with. Uh, they the nuclear winter thing was a disaster for mentally for people working in the defense field because they um um well like my office mate said i used to think that if there's going to be a nuclear war i'd run out jump in my car race home get my wife and kids and head for the hills so we could survive the war you know the nuclear attack on that was going to hit sandia labs because it was a nuclear weapons lab and hit albuquerque he says now he says so i used to think i was going to head to the hills with my family and ride it out now he says i'm going to get up on my rooftop at home with a six pack of beer just watch the whole thing go i mean at this point at this point if governments of the world can't understand that that's going to completely destroy our world i you know it's almost like why are we even here my question is what is the is there a connection because now these fears and these heights are, you know, in terms of being close to uh, nuclear confrontation seem to be sparked again. So is there a connection? Is there a connection between this and these current alleged UFO sightings, the revelations that have been made over the last, I don't know, four or five years, you know, in the, the news keeps saying, hey, you know, UFOs are real. Uh, this is across the board. What what exactly, because I don't want to miss out on any information for people that don't know, but on the in-between, between 19, the 1980s, mid-1980s, and there was a height of another, you know, there was a nuclear threat then, right? And then, and now it's back. Is there a UFO connection between the two things? And is it real? And we do believe it's real. We know it's real. And why is it being brought up simultaneously again with this conflict rising? Is that just a coincidence or is there some kind of connection? Well, one of the big fears during the Cold War because of the UFO phenomenon was that a UFO would be mistaken for like an ICBM or a bomber and would trigger a nuclear war. So both sides, the Russians and the Americans, that's one of the reasons they had the hotline was to, you know, people could call up the Russians and say, is this, is this one of yours? You know, it's coming across the North Pole. And the Russians say, no, it's not one of ours. We thought it was one of yours. And, you know, and that would keep things uh, quiet. But, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what happened next after this. I was in despair. I had a wife, a beautiful little daughter who was only um, three years old. And I went through then the holidays and I was in despair about the future of the human race. I thought we're going to have a nuclear war by accident eventually and it will destroy everything. And then I saw the work of DiPietro and Molinar. It was an evening magazine. It was the day after Christmas. And it was about the face on Mars. 
and I was just stunned by it. And it gave me great hope. I thought, if we find a dead civilization on Mars, which is what this looks like, then that means we won't worry about it. We won't have a nuclear war. We'll go up and explore Mars together, the Russians and the, United, and the Americans. And I just suddenly had hope for the first time. So I helped invest, but they investigate. Do they not already know about whether there was a civilization on Mars or not? It seems like whatever's discovered is always kept from us. And then there are like these little suggestions and then there are little suggestions in motion pictures and, and fiction because there were about 15 different civilization on Mars movies and even Philip K. Dick. You know, I see science fiction writers of the last century as prophets, don't you? Oh, I do. I do. Oh, oh I think um, I think I believe the human race is actually as a whole psychic. It's in touch with the collective unconscious. And um, if you watch a movie, what we have discovered happened on Mars. Um, and and uh, by the way, apparently the U.S. government knew about the dead civilization on Mars in 1976 when they landed, when they did the Viking landers. And they tested the atmosphere and they found the atmosphere had very strange isotopes. And those isotopes are signatures of massive nuclear explosions. I was told this by a weapons expert at Sandia Labs. And, and what were those explosions from? Oh, it appears this is the only way I can connect the dots that, that makes the most sense. Uh, it appears there was a primitive, it appears that Mars was like Earth back in the old days with an ocean and everything. And then and a biosphere and evolution, and it produced a um, kind of a Stone Age sort of civilization. By the way, their carvings resemble the Aztecs from old Mexico. And uh, so it was about the same technological level as the Aztecs or the early Egyptians. And so um, most people are not aware that right next to the face of Sidonia, which is, a, by the way, a face. It's eroded, but it's a face. It's a carved face. It, uh, about uh, 10 miles from it is a big five-sided pyramid with one of the points of the pyramid pointing directly at the face. So it's it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. I've, I've got all sorts of, I've got several images taken from space both from 1976 and from 2004, long after the face on Mars was supposedly quote unquote debunked. And it shows that it's a face and next to it is a pyramid, a five-sided pyramid. And the five-sided pyramid actually has a little square section, perfect, almost perfect square where the brickwork on it has fallen off forming a little landslide. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist. And and I want the audience to hear this right now. As a a scientist, as a scientist and a physicist yourself, 
Was there any moment where you doubted any of this? Because it's almost like, you know, the public word is, especially from the government, is that science is synonymous with doubting anything out of the ordinary. Oh, and science is inherently conservative, but you must understand there is an extraterrestrial cover-up. It's partly the UFO stuff, and now it's partly... It's, and then there's a Mars cover-up in addition. The U.S. government has known, apparently since 1976, that there was a dead, there's a dead civilization on Mars, dating from when Mars was like Earth, and that there was a nuclear holocaust on Mars. It's apparent from the isotopes. Uh, I have been publishing this. I wrote a book called Death on Mars, uh, evidence for an extraterrestrial planetary massacre. I know it sounds very harsh, but it is harsh. The realities of the universe is that the universe is a dangerous place. And part of the reason that makes it dangerous is that it's full of intelligent life who are like uh, one of the characters in my science fiction. She's She's an abductee. And she says, I've met these people from outer space. I can tell you the good news is that they're a lot like us, she says. And the bad news is that they're, they're a lot like us. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing, you know, that's, that's the thing. Why is it so shocking to the modern human when they read of these stories and they're fearful of experimentation, abduction, but we are the practitioners of the exact same behavior to other beings, especially you know, on this planet. I know. Oh, we used to sail around and launch explosive headed bark harpoons into whales, you know, and just just this horrendous bloody slaughter of these highly intelligent animals out in out in the ocean. Sure. And, uh, we shouldn't be shocked that a um more technologically advanced, higher intelligent, perhaps a high, highly intelligent uh, species from elsewhere wants to do the same thing to us. <laughs> well, we're starting to talk a science fiction scenario here, which I'll be happy to discuss in the context of science fiction. Uh, I work. Let me put it this way: I worked for 15 years in Washington D.C. I worked closely with the Pentagon and the agencies. So. Uh, when I left to go down and become a university professor in Florida, um, I said, you know, I heard a lot of interesting rumors working around here. Is this one office I was working in? And I said, uh, as a, I was a scientific consultant there, and I said, I heard a lot of interesting rumors around the coffee machine and in the hall, you know, before and after meetings. And I was thinking of writing a science fiction novel and putting some of them in there and would that be okay? And they said, my bosses who works for some of these intel agencies said, well, yeah, we're actually, we we're out to lunch. I was out to, I was, it was my farewell luncheon with them. And they said, yeah, we always liked your reports, John. You're a good writer. Uh, why don't you write some, write it all up and, but be sure it's science fiction. It's labeled science fiction and we'll read it. <laughs> That's what they told me. They said, go ahead and write the science fiction novel. Just make sure it's labeled science fiction. 
So I put, let me put it this way. I connected all the dots that I'd, I'd heard a lot of dots, saw some stuff, and I connected all the dots as best I could and wrote a science fiction novel called Morning Star Pass, The Collapse of the UFO Cover-Up. And, and again, these, these stories are amazing, and we all grew up with these stories. It almost seems like we were either being primed for something forthcoming or, or, or both, or, um, or a lot of writers are just channeling these ideas from the, some kind of I, I think it's a mixture of both. It's a mixture of both, Chris. Uh, the government, if you, if you read the MJ-12 papers, which I believe are authentic, uh, Stan Friedman thoroughly investigated them, and um, he uh, came to the conclusion they were authentic. Uh, they even have a contingency plan in the in the MJ twelve papers for how to bring the public up to speed quickly if there's a crisis involving uh, the stuff that crashed at Roswell, the UFO stuff, and um, so the. Government has been um, slowly but surely drip, 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 um, releasing information. And a lot of it went into Hollywood. There were a lot of Hollywood movies. Um, <laughs> my favorite is uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. <laughs> and, uh, well, even War of the Worlds was Gene Barry and uh, some... some hot chick. I can't remember what her name is. <laughs> and, and, of course, the story with... Written well before that. Yeah. The H.G. Wells story. Oh, uh, the War of the Worlds. Yeah. And that was caused by uh, Percival Lowell finding, you know, investigating the canals on Mars and concluding that Mars had an intelligent civilization on it. And uh, and we're going to be bringing in Paul Richard Price in a little bit, but I wanted to ask you, before we do- and before One we... of the people I met when I was in Washington, D.C. was uh, Paul. Yes. So before I actually bring him in, um, I wanted to ask you this about this time in history right now. Is this time in history strikingly different than all of the other teases or retractions of information or cover-ups? Because why on earth is the governments of are the governments of the world revealing that these things are otherworldly? Um, that the craft that the crafts that are being seen and have been seen over the years are something out of human origin. They've admitted to that now. Now, that's a very different thing. So why exactly are they doing that now? Well, I, I, have, a, I have a good friend. He's Mexican-American. He's, for, he's former military. He's a hard-boiled uh, old Navy guy. And uh, I was talking about this with him, and he says, he says, John, because now we found evidence, we found very strong data. You can look it up on ResearchGate, Brandenburg, uh, the scientific article. And then there's also um, Mars Society meeting, um, or there's Unexplained uh, Mysteries, NASA Unexplained um, has a good uh, video on it. And um, there was a nuclear holocaust on Mars. And, and here's, here's the best way we can I can connect the dots right now. Looks like there was a widespread, very vigorous humanoid, you know, human-looking civilization on Mars, roughly Stone Age, but very vigorous. 
like Old Kingdom Egypt or, or Old Mexico. And then somebody came along and dropped two enormous hydrogen bombs on Mars. We're talking hydrogen bombs as big as the Empire State Building, dropped from space. They went off in midair, so they didn't leave craters, just like in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and because it maximizes blast. And that destroyed not only the civilization, but Mars and biosphere. So Mars could never recover. Mars went from being a blue planet like Earth to being the red dead planet it is now. There's still some life on Mars that survived, but mostly um, Mars uh, is dead and there's just ruins there. So that's that tells you something about the way the universe works. There are people out there of like passions and abilities to ourselves. And they have apparently done evil things just like human beings do evil things. Instead of firebombing Dresden, they firebombed Mars. Instead of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it was Cydonia and a place called Galaxis Chaos. Uh, these are NASA names, by the way, for these locations. And both are centers of what look like ruins, archaeological ruins. So, so this information that you're telling me now was known by governments for quite yes. some time, correct? Yes. Okay. And, it, and are they planning on revealing this to the rest of us? Because it seems like they are, more so than ever, because in the past it was pushed into fiction and science fiction. Yes. They would say, no, oh, this You should happen. watch uh, Rocket Ship XM1. But that was made before we even went to Mars. They didn't even know that stuff. They didn't even have the data, but they it was made in 1960, Lloyd Bridges, and it's a just a it it's what I found on Mars. Is there some kind of shift happening in terms of the information? Uh, opening up to more people because previous generations have essentially died off and the newer generations grew up on all the science fiction and perhaps because now they're in positions, they're saying, well, let's let the rest of us hear this or is that not the case? I, I think the human race is grown up enough now that it realizes it's not only not the center, geometric center of the universe, we're not even the center of the biological universe either. And uh, I think people are ready for that. Well, Chris, look, I was a loyal foot soldier working in Washington, D.C. And when I discovered the evidence for the nuclear holocaust on Mars, you know, we already knew there was a dead civilization there. I reported it to the Pentagon and I had contacts at the Pentagon. I knew there was a Mars desk at the Pentagon and I reported it to them. They sent a guy out. I gave him a full briefing on what I'd found. And I basically said, what do I do? You know, was this classified? And, um, he said, we'll get back. He took careful notes, very serious. And then he went back to the Pentagon and um, he said, you'll hear from us. So six weeks later, I got a message back through channels. 
publish. So they wanted to come out. It's time. And think of it this way. If you want to break it to the public, that we're not alone in the universe, the best way to do it is with evidence for a dead, primitive, humanoid civilization on Mars. There are those who say that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children. We were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity. What would you say to the people who say, well, all these children were kidnapped and murdered and you were a part of it. What would you tell them? Would you I tell did them? approve of it, but there was nothing I could do about it. They wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations. And there are others who say it's still happening to this day. I don't know, I for myself find it a little suspicious that all the evidence has been conveniently destroyed. Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed at you, what are you going to do? Whatever the hell they want! Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV. series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. is it that you know of uh, Rick Price or Paul Richard Price? Uh, oh, I was kind of introduced to him and I think I talked to him on the phone and by one of the officials I was working with who worked for a well-known import-export agency. Uh, we'll just call him Ronald McDonald. And uh, anyway, he he basically gave me the introduction that, yes, Paul is an interesting character. He seems to be able to pick up stuff from the air, even though he's not cleared for it. And so we have to keep him, uh, you know, and basically said, Paul is a really smart guy and he understands what he picks up. So we have to kind of keep him someplace where we can watch him. And we know he is a good guy. That's that's basic. That was basically what they're what they told me. And once again, who who is they? Uh, who who gave you that word? Oh, this is oh, the, this is Ronald McDonald, one of the intel agencies. 
Okay. And your personal interest or your interest as a scientist or your interest in somebody who is um, studying ufology or physics or astrophysics, um, what, what is your interest in Paul? Like what, what sparks your, your interest? Oh, well, Paul and I just became buddies. You know, we talk on the phone and we, we've, uh, we've met several times and, you know, he's just somebody who is part of the world. I will, I used to be very much involved in, I still am involved in a little bit and he's just part of the, uh, Part of the environment I worked in in uh, Washington D.C. for 15 years, where I tried to serve, do, do my best to help defend this country and see to its welfare. And uh, you know, Paul was completely on board for all of that, and everybody liked him. In in the in the past, there I've heard so many stories of this type of classified information leaking or people talking about it in fear for their lives. Why are so many people able to talk about it now, including yourself and including Paul? Oh, it's like all secrets have a shelf life. And, you know, there were places I worked where the UFO cover-up was just an open secret, you know. It it just... I, I... I had it confirmed to me, and one one um, colonel who worked at the Pentagon told me, he says, yes, John, there is a UFO cover-up. Uh, he spoke of it as having, we have an extraterrestrial threat whose existence is classified. This was back in the early 80s, and he, he says, and I can't talk about it. He says, the rest, you now that you know what, that he says the rest you can figure out for yourself and that was his assignment go figure it out for yourself so i talked to a bunch of abductees and i even talked to a guy who's had a cow mutilated on his uh, ranch and um, he started shaking talking about it it was still it was a deal a deeply terrifying thing to happen and um he had, in fact, they'd found this cow that they'd kept on the back 40, um, mutilated after seeing UFOs over the rangeland at night. And they called the veterinarian because they had insurance on this cow, $500. And uh, the veterinarian came out, looked at the cow. Somebody had bored out the rectum of the cow and um, with what looked like some kind of a razor and uh, all the blood was drained from the cow. But it was interesting is the cow still had grass in its mouth. And to a cow, somebody's a rancher, if you, if you find a cow dead and it's got, still got grass in its mouth, it means it didn't have time to get scared and run. It just was uh, typically hit with a lightning bolt. <clears throat> so the... A veterinarian looked at the rear end of this cow that had been excised by a razor and um, looked at the grass in the cow's mouth and said, um, <clears throat> there's no insurance officials around here, so give me your papers. I'll sign them. It looks like lightning to me, he said. 
So well, that's just, how they just from how my perspective, because what's that? Just from my perspective, because both you and Paul have been immersed in the reality of this, and have have been and you have been exposed in your government positions over the years, your scientific position. For me, and a good deal of the world, as you already know, because you've all experienced what I've experienced, is all of the things you're talking about have been explained to us through fiction and science fiction. Was that on purpose? Was that done on purpose? Were those well, I wrote stories- my novel because I wanted to explain to people what I had heard. I didn't know if it was all true. But I talked to several abductees, and uh, you know, I talked to somebody who's had a cow mutilated on his ranch. I talked to a lot of experts in the field. We compared notes, and so, uh, so we've had so much leading up to now. Now seems like a very different time because, in in other words, it hasn't really happened before. Where in a very short relatively short period of time of a few years, there have been major revelations. You could call it soft disclosure. You can call it disclosure uh, that they're saying, hey, no, these these craft are of unknown origin. They are not of earthly technology. That's already been confirmed. And now the recent thing where, okay, they're shooting, they're being suggestive about what's being shot out of the sky. That you know, It's not a balloon. I heard that the other day. One of the government officials says it's not a balloon. Now they're saying it was a balloon. So I'm trying to figure out where we are right now. What is the zeitgeist right now in relation to everything we've been talking about? Is there some major revelation on its way? Is it Has it already happened? You know, okay. How, how do you feel about what's happening right now with all of these things? The re, you know, the revelations, and now this constant talk of strange objects in the sky being shot down. The people who were most interested in my work were the Chinese. They would come up at the conferences and said, "Can I, you know, I'd give a talk." And these, this was all completely unclassified work. It was just going to scientific conferences and giving papers. And these Chinese uh, delegations would come up and uh, say, can we download your, you know, your talk that you just gave? Can we have a copy of it electronically from the machine where you, you know, used it? So they would just download it off the machine I used at the conference. And um, uh, it was, you know, the conference machine where we were told to put our uh, files on. And then uh, they would come and offload the files from the conference, scientific conference uh, computer that was running all of audiovisual stuff. So uh, is that I published this stuff 20 years ago, and we published experiments where we would turn on the power and it would lose weight, something would lose weight, and we turn it off and it would regain its weight. These were very small changes in weight. Uh, for objects, and I published it all. So it's very possible the Chinese could have turned that into some kind of engineering. And it's you, you don't even need to invoke uh, anything extraterrestrial at this point that this technology then is now out there. So in other words, are you saying that the stuff that the, the technology 
that the governments have admitted to not be of human origin could very well be um, employed by the Chinese government? Well, let's say, how long has it been since Roswell? Been a long time. Sure. I came up with the uh, unified field, the gem unification theory, unifying gravity and electromagnetism. So you could help neutralize gravity fields with uh, electromagnetism. Uh, I came up with that just because of my scientific background and um, things I learned in plasma physics, for instance. So, but that's been out there. So, and I know various governments, not just our own, were interested in it. So they could have, there's abundant ability to reverse engineer this stuff. Not only that, um, some of the reverse engineering kind of stuff is now basically other people have published, uh, other people have published similar theories to mine. And um, so somebody may have uh, decided to uh, make some of that technology uh, and turn it into a some kind of surveillance device. They don't okay, sound okay. So just just to break it down. So in other words, this this technology was originally of unknown or alien origin. Has now been reverse engineered and m- could be, or most likely, in regard to your um, expert opinion, is being used by other governments now. I, I believe so. Yes. Okay. So my only question to that would be. And again, you know, obviously we're lied to all the time by the government, but um, How do we know the why would they come publicly and say, why would they come publicly and say, oh, this is of unknown origin. No human on earth could make this. Oh, well, Chuck Schumer says they're balloons. The Air Force General says they are not balloons. Who do you believe? I wouldn't. I wouldn't believe anything Chuck Schumer says. I, I, yeah, I, I was surprised that he would become an expert on these things. The Air Force general said they are not balloons. We don't know what's keeping them up aloft, he said. So, and <laughs> so, so, so this is very, could very easily be somebody took my theory and theories similar to mine and ran with it and uh, uh, I suppose what I'm what I'm getting at is there must be we must be on the precipice of something and I think that's for the last quarter of oh, this I conversation I want to discuss that with both you and and, yes. and Paul uh, let's get Paul into this this, okay. this ball. so one at a time what what do you think and again this is your opinion of, of, of collecting information, being involved, uh, truly understanding what this is and might be. What do you think we're on the precipice of? I guess, John, you can answer me first. And then, Paul, you can tell me your opinion and we can discuss it amongst each other. I think I think the government is about to reveal that they have strong evidence that we're not alone in the universe and that um, uh, it could also be that they want the stuff on Mars to come out and be a matter of public discussion. And um, so 
I, I believe that's what's going on. And uh, they want it to current stages. They don't want to talk about living aliens flying around in spaceships around the Earth. But a dead civilization on Mars that somebody nuked, they're okay to talk about that. Just before, just before I hear from Paul, why one and not the other? Why don't they want you to hear about living aliens visiting Earth and they're okay with? <clears throat> uh, one of the principles of, of good propaganda is you, you find out what the market will bear. The, 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 the discovery on Mars is much less threatening than um, say alien bases on the far side of the moon or something like that or flying saucers coming down and abducting people and mutilating cattle that's that's very frightening and people go into denial denial is not just a river in Egypt it's a very human emotion when your brain confronts something it can't accept it it just it just won't accept it now, but a dead civilization on Mars that was nuked that I think the public is ready for. That's just my own belief. I appreciate it. And I'd love to have you back on sometime. Um, if you, if you were to, I ask all my guests this on the way out, if you were to retain your consciousness, uh, after physical death, sure. what would you take with you? Oh well, I've uh, I'm religious, so I'm I'm just an Episcopalian, but I'm a very devout Episcopalian. So I would just say, well, Lord, I felt I was doing what you wanted me to do. Okay, Paul, can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, so we're gonna close. We're gonna run the next half hour, and I want you to be able to tell me what currently is happening in the world. Well, actually, I was about to say actually you weren't on the show with me, but that's fine. All right, he he just left. So okay, Paul, um, let's continue. So I have about a half hour here, and I'd like to I'd like to get your opinion on. What's happening in the world? And before we get to this point in the episode, I'm letting the audience know to check out the other two episodes that I've already recorded with you for your history and everything else. Um, but um, what's happening in the world right now, in your opinion? Why why are all of these things being revealed? And I've heard John's perspective, and it makes a lot of sense to me. How do you feel about everything that has happened in the last couple of years in terms of revelations and information? And also, how do you feel about what's happening right now in terms of, is it a balloon floating over us? Is it not? These objects are being shot down. Will there be more? Where are we headed and what are we on the precipice of, in your opinion? Well, this is not either a left or right paradigm, in my opinion. I think what we're dealing with right now is that we have a geopolitical situation that is fluid and that situation is currently leading leading the uh, deep state into getting into a point where they are desperate 
things are being exposed and some of that man-made technology is currently being used to perpetrate the biggest false flag hoax known to humanity. And that will be, and we'll see, and I've talked about this quite frequently in my in my book series, The Prophecy Chronicles, uh, Redemption being one, uh, the final book coming out an, as an audio book in the middle of March, I'm hope, hopefully. And others is that they are trying to push a alien invasion scenario to hide what they're doing and to complete their their control over the uh, masses in humanity. Now, like I said, it's a it's not a left or right paradigm. There's no such thing as a left or right, alt left or alt right. They're both working in concert with one another. It seems that way. Now, when you say alien invasion, like a false flag alien invasion. So what you're saying is we're on the precipice of some kind of major hoax on the public of Earth, okay, because it's not just the U.S., uh, to what? Scare people to live in indoors, to go underground, to cause chaos, all of the above? What exactly are they hoping to get from an alien invasion scenario? And how would specifically that alien invasion scenario play out? Well, first of all, it's all, all of the above, above and more. It's a point where they're trying to push towards the Great Reset and the Green New Deal, and nobody's buying it. They can't control the paradigm or, or the narrative anymore. And what's currently happening at this point is that we're looking at a fact, uh, looking at the fact that a individual or a group of individuals who believe that they should control the world are seeing that their control paradigm is crumbling underneath them. The masses are not believing the BS. The lies are being uh, exposed. For example, uh, we're looking at the um, uh, subcommittee uh, hearings on big tech and its censorship of uh, people on uh, platforms like Twitter and Facebook. And when they were talking uh, with the Facebook, former Facebook executives in that here in that meeting, abruptly the power went out all over the uh, Capitol. It was shut down, especially around the time when they were asking questions related to the FBI's collusion with big tech to censor people in violation of the um, First Amendment. And it was Marjorie Taylor Greene and other people uh, that yelled out and said, from what I heard, and I remember watching the video on it, "Where does anyone have a generator here? In other words, they're trying to censor that, and people are waking up. They're not believing the, the bullcrap anymore. They're done with it. So if they can't control people in one aspect, they'll put the fear of God into them and uh, fake an alien invasion scenario 
to where, hey, we all have to unify into a one world government to fight against this external foe. And what we're looking at here is, yeah, they'll release any and all information that's pertinent to their narrative. That alien, the aliens are coming. My name's Paul Price. Rick for short, Rick is my nickname. And think about this. The aliens are coming. The aliens are coming. Sort of like the British are coming. Uh, Paul Revere, you know the story. And we have to unify. Well, that promotes their paradigm. A one world unified government under the leadership of a small group of elitists. Okay, and that's believable. My other question is, is there any validity to visitations? Because I know you also believe that there are true ex- of, of craft and perhaps beings of extraterrestrial origin visiting the Earth. Is somehow that going to overlap? Or, you know, is there some connection between the two? Or is this just a major hoax that's about to be played on us? And in the process of, because there's a lot of questionable stuff happening right now that might match up to what you're talking about. And I'm only talking from a very sober perspective where I'm, I'm observing. I don't close a narrow road to anything. I'm, my mind is open and I'm listening because I'm watching these things happen before my eyes. I'm listening to these things from the governments talking about objects in the sky being shot down. And a year previous, they're also talking about things of alien origin flying around the earth. We have all heard that. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist, (laughs) no pun intended, to put these things together and realize, well, there's something happening. There's something certainly going on here. And you know, if you turn a blind eye to it, look at what's happened in the last couple of years. You have to question something. You're not a bad person because you question what's going on. I know they tell you that, that you're a really horrible person or you're insane or you're a conspiracy theorist if you question anything, but that is not true. And you know, where are we? What's happening here? And are there any forces or people in opposition to what's happening? Because obviously, the, if there is a hoax, like you say, this major elaborate hoax, it's about control. And the control is not a good thing. So what, what, is there anyone here to combat this situation? Well, we have uh, a countergroup called uh, the Aquarium. And it's a group of former intel officers and military men and women. In other words, they're called the White Hats who are trying to stop this uh, hoax uh, from proceeding. The only thing we can do to stop it now, I mean, they've already rigged the elections. And the rigging is on both sides, people. I'm not taking one side over the other. It was originally done by the uh, Republicans. Now it's being uh, perpetrated by the Democrats. And if you look at it, both parties are not uh, any different. It's it's not called the the Uniparty for nothing. What we're looking at here... If you go back in history, the Granada Treaty that was reportedly signed at uh, Holloman Air Force Base 
1959 by the the then president, uh, Dwight David Eisenhower, and uh, a group of not uh, gray aliens, but uh, Aryan aliens is what they were calling human-like. And um, reportedly, that may be what's in play here, but I think it's more important than that, that they are now no longer able to control the narrative. The people are now waking up. And now they are desperate. They have a puppet in chief, a pretender in chief in the White House right now that should not be there. They know it. We know it, especially. So they've already had this plan in place since the mid-1960s. Especially if you look into the report on Iron Mountain and other reports dealing with the fact that we might, that they were thinking about using advanced technology and holograms and weapons, and we're talking that they will fire on their own people to promote the narrative that we are currently under surveillance and under uh, attack from an alien civilization from outside of the world. If you remember when you were a child, the multiple, and I mean multiple, speeches that um, Ronald Reagan made regarding the extraterrestrial reality, and how they believed it was evil and that we must unite against the common foe. Now, whether or not you believe that or not, is your, it's uh, given towards your own interpretation of the information. However, the issue is they have been planning this, and I want to encourage the uh, listeners to look up Project Bluebeam, which was a NASA-sponsored project under a contract with the Department of Defense, ARPA, and, and the Office of Naval Research on projecting holograms, lifelike holograms, into the atmosphere since 1960, 1960 actually. The technology had advanced far enough at that point in time where they said that they could project the image of Jesus coming down from the clouds, add audio to it, and make Muslims or even Muhammad, uh, make Muslims believe that Muhammad was coming down and that the second coming of Muhammad would, would occur. And Muhammad would be telling him, lay your weapons down. We have had that technology for years. We have had the, uh, the truth about false flag operations since even since before our uh, introduction into World War II, when the Japanese were manipulated by FDR and, uh, and Winston Churchill to go and attack Pearl Harbor. This is a fact. It's not a theory. 
So they have perfected false flag operations since then. All the alien invasion scenario is, in effect, is a false flag operation. And look at what they found out, and they, and they found out through the psychological operations experiment done in 1939. The War of the Worlds broadcast uh, by Orson Welles was financed by the Rockefeller Foundation to see whether or not they could con people and have them believe if a realistic um, radio production was uh, put out in public, whether or not that they could manipulate people into believing that we were under attack from an alien civilization. And they but, pre- but here's where some questions uh, are born for me, uh, and I have to ask them. You have all of these government hoaxes as a matter of control, creating fear. But simultaneously, there are real encounters with real uh, species and craft from unknown origin, correct? Well, from what the history state, or from what is being stated in history, plus the um, interviews with witnesses who were abducted or experienced, whichever term you want to place on there yes but what they're doing right now christopher is that they're uh, working on the direct fear of the populace by implanting in them and preparing them and they've done that now for four years since the quote release of the tic tac video are they ever concerned that these things might coincide? In other words, while they're creating their hoax, is it at all possible that a real mass extraterrestrial, uh, technologically advanced civilization might visit Earth? Well, at this point, most of those particular, if the information that I've heard is correct, those species have already had interactions with our not only uh, the leaders of our country, but other countries. So there's no particular need for them to step out and let make their, uh, pardon me, their presence known. The okay, only- just, just to make this clear. So in other words, the governments of the world are aware of these extraterrestrials, that there are many out there. They've communicated with each other and they they as in the extra the ets don't interfere with the decision making process of the governments of the world who want to hoax their people they don't get involved in that they're aware that of what they're doing and it doesn't bother them and i'm i'm just trying to make sense out of all of this well look at the granada treaty and they promised uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower that they would not get direct, uh, be directly involved in human affairs. That they would leave hu- uh, humans alone. That's if you look at the Granada Treaty. And a signatory of the uh, Granada Treaty, from what I understand, there was a second agreement made with a secret group of members of the United Nations that was a follow-on to that in around 1963 or 4 
where they got key members of the UN Security Council to sign up and to be signatories on what was originally the uh, Granada Treaty. What we're looking at here, though, is that at this point, I don't believe that these extraterrestrials will do anything to interact in the affairs of human beings. That's just my opinion on it. I think what they're going to do, and I think what the issue is, is that what with the technology that was gleaned not only from Roswell, but also reportedly there was craft that was given to the um, uh, United States government and also other world governments in uh, Russia, uh, the UK, um, and Germany, to name just a few. The point is, what they did is that they back-engineered that, that tech. And now they're planning to use that back-engineered tech. The man-made variants or versions of it. To actually force us to comply with the Great Reset, whether we want to or not. They will put the fear of God into everybody, saying, if you don't comply and we don't unite, we will not defeat this common foe. So, in other words, the last few years have been a primer and now an introduction to this so-called common foe, coupled with many, many decades of science fiction and alien invasion scenarios, you know, dating way back to H.G. Wells. Um so in other words, this last object that was shot down over Lake Huron that they're not identifying is all part of the process of them fooling us into thinking there is an alien invasion. What else is going to happen? Are they going to broad make fake broadcasts of cities being destroyed or go that far? Are they going to just continue to say, oh, we're shooting these things down. The aliens are coming. I mean, I'm just trying to get a handle on it because us recording this right now is also is is the antithesis of what they're doing, right? So you're letting people know, the listeners, hey, expect this. And if that happens in sequence, then it makes more sense to what you're saying than us being truly invaded right now by otherworldly intelligences. Well, what they're doing is that this is still a part of them shooting down the reported balloons. And I'm putting that in quotes over Lake Huron, over the uh, Pacific, uh, uh, West Coast Pacific area near um, Canada and, and Alaska. Remember, this is used to distract people. Number one, there are hearings in Congress. Nobody's watching now. Let's look up to the skies, brothers and sisters. We see our alien crap. They shot them down. Oh, they're going to get... Uh, pardon the language here, they're going to get pissed off at us and we're going to start a shooting match. And let me make a point. To emphasize the reality of their con, they will kill off masses of people. They will kill them off using that tech. Because remember, number one, they're distracting from the real story. And they're using this to do that. 
And so best- really quick, just to make sure of what you're saying, is that you're not suggesting that this is just some benign holograph show, holographic you know, show to scare people. They're literally going to couple this with destruction of people, lives, property to, to feed the narrative of this invasion. They have to. Remember Carol, uh, Dr. Carol Rosen, who worked with Werner von Braun before his death. Okay? Dr. Carol Rosen, Warner told her directly that that was what their plan would be. And this was done back in 1975. Fast forward to now. They first t- tell us, oh, well, what about the Tic Tac video that the Navy released? And now they're shooting down aliens, which is um, which is the other part of it. And now the aliens are, are going to come in and say, "Okay, you you did it one last time. Now it's time for us to put an end an end to this right here and right now." That was the warning given by Warner or Werner von Braun to Carol Rosen, and he told her exactly what how it would go down, and it has gone down exactly the way he told Rosen he would do it. Now so the- how, soon, how soon do you think it's going to be taken to the next level? In other words, right now they're reporting, well, they were reporting balloons. Now, and I, and I heard it from the horse's mouth on on the news, uh, military personnel saying they do not know what these things are of recent. They claim the other one was a Chinese surveillance balloon. This other stuff, this new stuff is, was, you know, they had told everyone, they, they told everyone, they said that uh, there were no visible propulsion systems. So how soon do you think it's going to be escalated to the next level of what you're talking about, where they're going to now blatantly say, this isn't an alien invasion? of extraterrestrial origin, and we're in trouble if we don't band together. When do you think that it's going to escalate to that? Well, first, here's the scenario. First, they did the shooting war. They've already started shooting these things, quote-unquote, down. Now I want to make a point to the listeners. Do you think that these extraterrestrial ships are going to be shot down by uh, devices that we or uh, technology we currently have, when they're light years ahead of where where we are at currently, absolutely not. But it's all a primer to set us up for when the actual attack occurs and how it will go down. In my opinion, is that the shooting match has already started. You will start seeing now that they so- will directly. 18 hours ago, and I have to say this, 18 hours ago, this is Time Magazine, okay? Time Magazine, 18 hours ago, says, and this is a headline, U.S. General doesn't rule out aliens as UFOs mount. Well, let me bring this up to you, and I want want your audience to think about it. They have to fulfill the narrative, and the best way to do that is to actually start a conflict where lives are lost and do it as soon as they can uh, or they can get away with it. We're talking shock and awe. 
they will have to attack cities, and we're, and we're talking potentially major cities, uh, not any of the rural cities, because really they won't have the impact as, let's say, a Miami and Florida where you're at, or a New York City, or a Los, Los Angeles, and D.C., especially Washington, D.C., and that will uh, then the press can run with that and say, "Holy crap, man, we're under attack by aliens." I think it's really important to acknowledge, you know, everything you're saying in real time right now. This this uh, episode will be out Wednesday night, and um, you know, it's concerning. Again, reading in Time magazine in real time only hours ago an article that states that headline. You have to give some credibility or at least concern and understanding of what Paul is saying right now. Uh, because if you're going to believe that it's really aliens, you might want to believe that they're putting a hoax on us as well. You might consider the other alternative. I, I believe that there are uh, extraterrestrial intelligences. What Paul's saying isn't that he's dismissing that, of course, because he's has he's had his own abduction experiences and claims to have dealt with things as a young man and all of this stuff throughout his history. What he's saying is this particular thing in the headlines is disingenuous. Is that what you're saying? Well, what we're looking at here is that they are using whatever tools that they currently have in their, uh, uh, toolbox to manipulate people and even force them to into uh, compliance. They don't care about what you and I think. We're peons. We are what they call the sheeple. This is not a conspiracy theory. It's a fact. Now, you've got the uh, fools by the name of uh, Henry Kissinger and other members of the um, Council on Foreign Relations and the Club of Rome, who were pushing this agenda. And the original founders of the Federal Reserve Bank, one of them, Paul Warburg, before his death, stated that we will have a one-world government, whether we want it or not. And this is where this false flag alien abduction scenario plays into the paradigm that we're currently seeing right now. Biden, I don't believe, will be in office much longer. And neither will Harris. I think that there will be an intervention potentially with the U.S. military, if not other actions, from uh, white hat members of the U.S. intelligence community that will put a stop to this However, the elite aren't, are not going down without a fight. And this is where this false flag scenario comes in. So in other words, there, there, there is a threat to the people who mean us harm and mean nothing but to control us. There actually is a human threat to them, an intelligent threat, in other words, an opposition and what you're saying is what they're doing right now is escalating to these most elaborate, insane hoaxes on, on the people of Earth, right? Uh, that they're going to go as far as to stage an alien invasion to remain in power. 
Well, it's all about power. These people have more money than than they could ever spend in a billion lifetimes. They and their progeny. They don't need money. So what do they crave? They crave power and control. They believe that we, as a species, that they are our rulers. They think they're genetically pure and that we're nothing but cannon fodder for them. And those are statements made by members of the elite in the past, uh, including Arthur Schlesinger, the late Arthur Schlesinger, who was the um, press officer for uh, John F. Kennedy, Pierre Pierre Salinger, um, let's see here, and even Henry Kissinger. They call the sheeple. These are things that the people need to understand and wake up. Look at Occam's razor for one example. We're talking science here. Now, let me ask you, Christopher, you know what Occam's razor is. I do. I know the definition. The simplest explanation is usually the right one. And being that, you know, we've talked about this before in other interviews. Number one, aliens, you know, they were coming here and they wanted to do us harm other than the abduction or experiencer experiences, they would have already done it already. Now, if they're extra dimensional, as I've, the argument I've uh, uh, given the audience in the past, then, you know, maybe they're demonic and they want to go ahead and, you know, give us hell. You know, that's the other, the other scenario. But I don't see that happening in this scenario. I, I see it's a bunch of power-hungry uh, megalomaniacs, uh, psychotics, who think and believe in a, in a religious, uh, um, religiously that they are the chosen ones. It is their job to save humanity from its from itself by depopulation. And they believe in the great calling that's that is part of the salient um, invasion scenarios that they're going to call a, a at least around 78 to 80 percent of the population in this great calling. So and I appreciate the information and your perspective and your opinion. And in closing out this episode, this particular chapter, I want to uh, I want for you, if you can, to offer the audience something outside of, and again, it's important that you said everything you did. So I'm not suggesting you're a fear monger. I just want to give them something outside of to be afraid of what's happening, because that's all we have at the moment, to be scared of what's going on, perhaps be aware of it. But if if, if this hoax is coupled with mass destruction, it is certainly something to be afraid of. So what could people do to prepare for whatever these scumbags are doing to everybody? Unite. Unite as one. And never, ever be afraid of of unification. In other words, let's go back to a time when we knew our neighbors, when we were never afraid of our neighbors. 
back to a time of more innocence, but also back to a time where we would stand up for our rights and never, ever allow people to dictate to us what our, what our rights are. Our rights are God-given. Our, right, our rights to, to love, liberty, and happiness and the pursuit of happiness are guaranteed in our Constitution. Band together as one. Don't believe the hype. Stand firm. Work together in, un, in many unified uh, uh, colonies. It's not colonies. It's not what I'm thinking about. But, you know, in, in smaller groups where we can actually, in our own individual areas, control the narrative and protect our own. It's all about now protecting our families and know the truth and the truth will set you free. But also band in love and don't listen to, the, uh, to what is being said. But if you do listen, listen with, with no filters. But don't believe the hype. Know that what you're hearing is not true but also work together, band together, so that way we can combat what these elitists are doing. There are more of us than there are of them. And we can stand and, and stop this from happening by getting the truth and knowledge out. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano. I want to thank you for joining the discussion tonight. It's difficult to trust our leaders when there's a clear historical trail of manipulation and disinformation, whether we are visited by beings and technologies from unknown worlds, rival governments spying on us with surveillance balloons, or an advanced science and unique gadgets from competitive departments. The public deserves to know the truth and to trust the leaders that will communicate well and understand our best interest. One way or another, this confusion ends when we collectively say no more. Until next time, watch the skies and try to enjoy the daylight. <laughs>